Well, good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. St. Jerome, in his prologue to the commentary on Isaiah, makes this comment, which we post on our website, for ignorance of the Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And the point of this program is to glean from the, the long sacred tradition of the Church, which includes sacred Scripture, the wisdom that the Holy Spirit has given to the church to help us grow closer to Jesus. And that's the goal of this program. And I appreciate you joining us as we begin this new period in uh, study in the Deep in Scripture program. We've just finished a year on St. Paul, and now we're going to embark, following the, the, uh, our Holy Father's encouragement, to focus on a year on the priesthood. And as I think about the scriptures that I'd like my guests to focus on during this coming year, we will certainly have many guests that will choose the priesthood and the, the issues of ordination and calling and, and all those aspects that deal specifically with the sacramental priesthood, sacrificial priesthood. But given the wider audience that I know from emails and such that listen to this program, uh, both Catholic and non-Catholic, I needed to make sure I widened that focus a bit for the coming year. And what struck me when I think about the priesthood is that the men who choose to follow the Lord Jesus into the priesthood, that uh, they have made a very specific choice, a willingness to surrender and follow Christ in dedicating their lives to him. And so what I'd like to pose as a wider theme for the Deep in Scripture programs in the coming year is scriptures that have specifically inspired us to follow Jesus. There's many different scriptures, of course. There's some scripture that teaches us about God, about, a, about a Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, a, a, about the church, about uh, what it means to uh, live in obedience to God. There's many verses that teach us about ourselves, about our unworthiness and our need for salvation, our need to follow Jesus Christ, our need for grace, verses that teach us about hope and encouragement and, and uh, service and all kinds of scriptures from beginning to end. But we're specifically spoke, focusing on verses that challenged us to choose to follow Christ, to discern those gifts that we have that are specifically given to us for the good of following Christ, serving God and serving others. And for many of us, that means making radical choices, setting aside other optionals, optional choices to follow Christ specifically, following God's call. And so, no, I'm, I'm leaving a wide berth for my guests. Now, what I'm going to tell you ahead of time is that next week, Next Wednesday night, I'm going to be on this program alone, and I'm going to focus on the verse or two that were, I consider that were influential to me in discerning Christ's call. First, I'll look at a scripture that focuses on my call to follow Jesus with my life, and then second part of the program, the verse that was particularly challenging to my wife and I to become Catholics. And we'll look at that next week. But this week on Deep in Scripture, my guest is a good friend, Dr. Paul Schenk. If you've had the opportunity of watching the Journey Home program on EWTN, you've heard his story, and it's a very powerful story of conversion. On the deepinscripture.com website, 
you'll see posted not only his photograph, but also a biography, which gives just a, a thumbnail sketch of his journey of faith and his background and what he brings not only to his service, in which he is the uh, director of the National Pro-Life Action Center on Capitol Hill, right across the street from United States Supreme Court. He's dedicated his life serving Christ in this particular way, and that's fighting the pro-life battles. Uh, and he's got so much to tell us about that. I'm not sure we'll get into that in our program tonight. But if you go to the website, you'll see more about his training and his his journey. He was raised Jewish, attended Jewish school, Hebrew school, and then eventually converted to Christianity, served as a pastor, did pro-life work, which to a certain extent put his whole life in jeopardy as he was uh, challenged be, uh, because of his strong position on the pro-life issues. And then in time, by the grace of God, he was drawn into the Catholic faith and uh, now serves, continue, continuing to serve in this pro-life ministry uh, directing the National Pro-Life Action Center in, D- in Washington, D.C. Now, if you go to the Deep in Scripture website, you'll see a variety of things. You'll see the phone number and the email. I'd love to have you call us. If you have a question or a comment, you can do that at 800-664-5110 or, you can, or 740-450-1175. You can send me an email at marcus at deepinscripture.com. I'd, actually, I'd love to have you send me emails about verses that you consider important to your own journey. What scriptures awakened you to your need to dedicate your life more deeply to Jesus Christ? Also, if you go to the website, you'll see that there is a link so that you can watch this program live. And you'll see me sitting here at my desk, as well as uh, a photo of Dr. Schenck as we discuss this text together. Now, the text that he chose for tonight. Okay, now we're abandoning St. Paul for a bit, and in fact, we've gone a long way from St. Paul. We've gone all the way to the beginning. Paul chose Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And he'll talk in a moment why he chose these verses as significant to his own journey as well as his own calling. But let me read these to you so that you can... Um, uh, you know, have these in your mind, and then after the break, I'll invite Dr. Schenck to join us. I'm going to begin reading with verse 4, because this is the, the opening verse to this particular paragraph that deals with the creation. I'll read beginning verse 4 through verse 9. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grota, your host for this program, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on Life on the Rock. We are all called to chastity according to our state in life. But how does one practice this virtue in the world today? Tune in when recording artist Amanda Vernon joins Doug and Father Mark to talk about chastity and music. That's on the next Life on the Rock here on EWTN. Life on the Rock is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. Joined tonight by Dr. Paul Shank. Hello, Paul. Hello, Marcus. Thank you for joining us. I and I say that with uh, every bit I can because I know you're busy, and uh, and I know you have family issues uh, going on that we want to offer you and your family up in prayer. Uh, but I thank you for joining us on the program. In fact, well, you're in thank your, you. It's you, a, a great pleasure. Always a pleasure to join you. And and thank you for um, prayers for for my father who yes. is um, dying. He is. Um, in the wonderful care of Franciscan sisters, as is my mother, and uh, he's open uh, to spiritual truth in a new way, and that's been a very precious time between us. Thank you for your prayers. All right, yeah, that's a blessing, uh, just to know that. But still, it, it's a difficult time. I know uh, how it was when I went through it. Thank you. In fact, I, I'm kicking myself here because I. I try to think about everything, okay, but as I saw your name posted there on the Internet as we were broadcasting on the Internet, uh, it reminded me that you're in York, Pennsylvania, and I drove through your fine city just last week. I was, I was out in Philadelphia, and I decided rather than take the major highways back to Ohio, I'd, I traveled Route 30 almost all the way home, uh, the old Lincoln Highway. Sure. So I probably drove near your house. <laughs> well, close, uh, close to it. I uh, we we might have been able to spot each other over the hill. <laughs> but then you fight the battles every day getting into the big city. Is that right? Well, yes. But I found a secret passage uh, from uh, <laughs> South Central Pennsylvania into D.C., and that's thanks to my son who lives in Baltimore. And uh, I drive the city streets right through Baltimore City, and uh, I have not had a traffic incident but twice in the last four years. So <laughs> it's a tried-and-true path, but uh, I'm not going to reveal it on the phone lest anybody else exactly. crowd, out, crowd me out. <laughs> Everybody and their sister would be using that new secret passage. Well, well uh, I want to remind the audience that... Uh, if they'd like to know more about your specific journey, 
they can do that by linking on to the deepinscripture.com website. There's a connection to your conversion story so they can get a background because you've come a long way. With a, you bring a lot to this study. And well, I, I, I did, uh, as you said uh, earlier, I was raised Jewish. I attended Hebrew school in Niagara Falls, New York, based L Hebrew school, where we studied, uh, among other things, um, Babylonian, the Babylonian Talmud, uh, which is uh, written in the form of uh, Aramaic, Chaldean Aramaic, and uh, that gave me a wonderful introduction into the language of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And while I didn't appreciate it as a young person, when I was baptized, I became a Christian, and uh, certainly since I've entered into full communion with the Catholic Church, that appreciation has deepened, and that is um, uh, what is behind, uh, in, a, in a very big way, my choice of this passage of Scripture that we're discussing tonight. In fact, this is a passage that would have been, uh, you know, a part of your entire life, whereas, you know, New Testament passages you wouldn't have become acquainted with until later in your, in your Christian conversion. But here was a passage that, that you saw from the beginning. Uh, I'm going to ask you why you chose this passage, and I'm also wondering whether your understanding of it has changed over the years because of your Christian conversion. Well, the answer to that question is most certainly it has changed. It has deepened. Uh, I don't understand the Scripture differently uh, than I did uh, as a young person or as a Hebrew school student, but my understanding of it has deepened and become more extensive. To answer the first question, why did I choose the passage? Because for me, this is the beginning of the Gospel. Uh, this is where it all begins. Uh, this is the story of creation. Uh, this is the story of uh, Adam being placed in the garden. Uh, here is uh, all of the good things that God made in the world uh, for the crown of his creation, humankind. Here is uh, the fall from that original grace. And here is the tree of life, knowledge of good and evil. This is the whole gospel in just these few verses. And that's interesting. I remember from my time in seminary, we spent, God, I think we spent an entire semester just on Genesis 1 through 9, um, looking at all the layers that are there in the Hebrew text, um, the different creation accounts, these are different views of the different creation accounts. Uh, scholars but want to find every angle on it, whether it's a valid angle or not. Um, and often they, if, if asked, you know, where, where does the gospel begin? Where does it originally first show its, you know, its uh, its face? Usually, they point a little bit later to Genesis three. Uh, after the fall, after it's all happened, and then they're pointing to that famous verse, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And of course, there's truth in that, but yet, I think what you're pointing out is there's a whole lot that comes before that verse that, uh, you know, that really is there establishing the need for the, the gospel and the foundation for it. Well, the reason I would come this 
uh, much earlier than the passage you just referred to in Genesis 3, 16 and thereabouts, uh, which, as you mentioned, scholars refer to as the Proto-Evangelium, the, the first gospel. The reason I bring it back a whole chapter is because the objective, the original intent when God created humanity was to enjoy the communion, the fellowship with Adam and with his descendants. That was the original objective, and God held to that objective. He didn't allow the departure of man in the fall from that original grace, that original communion. He did not allow that to be the permanent condition, but instead immediately implemented a promise which came to its fulfillment in the incarnation of the Son of God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that was one continuum. In other words, it wasn't as if Adam was one person before the fall and then another after. It was the same Adam, just as it is with us. God's creation of each one of us is with the intent of our enjoying eternal communion with him. And he has made provision for that rupture that occurs through original sin and through real sin, actual sin, to be healed and restored so that we are brought back to the original plan rather than a new uh, idea, something that didn't exist before. Really what the gospel, the whole gospel is, is the restoration of the original plan, the original intent. And we would certainly see that wholeness of the of the renewal that's intended in the gospel if we look into Paul, into Romans chapter 8, where the whole creation is awaiting this completion of this renewal, uh, the revealing of the sons of God. We see that referenced in Romans 8. Now, uh, let's look in this passage then that you've chosen, and what I'm going to do is uh, I'm always nervous because we're doing this over the the phone, you know, so we're not face to face. So I, I I'm not sure, uh, you know, what your intent was for our discussion. But let me throw something at you, because I want the audience to see something that they may not always see in these passages, because I think it's fascinating. If we look at verse four, and I think this is a strong foundation, uh, Doctor Shank, to your view that the the Evangelion begins in this section is because if you look at verse 4 and you compare verse 4 with Genesis 5 verse 1 and compare it to Genesis 6 verse 9 and if you just jumped up ahead here and you compared it for example to Genesis 10 verse 1 and then compared it to Genesis 11, verse 10, and on and on and on, what you see is that the big picture is this 
this this this covenantal, this descendants of families, uh, and this passing on of this family covenant. You know, of course, Dr. Hahn uh, really focuses a lot on this, but the the point being that chapter two, verse four, is is the beginning of this, these generations. Uh, and so we see the beginning of God's intent for the way the earth was intended to be in this very first generation of his creation. Well, and it begins with this magnificent, uh, ineffable gift of life that is imparted gratuitously. Nothing compels God to create Adam, much less to give him the gift of life, which is the greatest gift that can be given, ever be given, and ever be received. So it is entirely gratuitous. It is entirely grace. Uh, There is nothing that forces God to do this. He does it out of pure and, without the aid of grace, incomprehensible love. So the whole beginning and whole career of humanity is founded in this moment of magnificent love when God creates. I think sometimes we we look at these passages almost mechanically. (laughs) You know, we think of a a Pixar uh, movie demonstration. We think of of special effects, uh, how God uh, put together this original person, this original human being from the dust of the ground, actually the Hebrew says the ashes of the ground, and out of the ash he, he brought about this light. And we think of it more mechanically, almost pyrotechnics, uh, how God uh, brought about this, this, uh, this event. But what we really need to focus on is what was the motive here. And the motive was pure love. And that's carried through the generations. Yeah, and I want to uh, challenge you on that. That's that's excellent. Because isn't that therefore uh, parallel to, all right, here we are on this side of the fall, and with all that's happened since the event here, yet when we see Christ coming um, as the fulfillment of what we're looking at here in the beginning, uh, calling us each to a complete recreation by grace of ourselves, a, a cleansing that happens in baptism and all of that. I mean, what you're talking about is the beginning here, which was a gratuitous love, isn't that exactly where we are to begin this new life we have in Christ? Well, and that's precisely how Paul uh, portrays it, as a new beginning, a new Adam, 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that tremendous passage uh, with its central point of baptism, and uh, then 2 Corinthians, uh, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is the reiteration of Genesis chapter 2. Old things have passed away. Behold, all becomes new in Christ. And perhaps uh, a more precise contextual translation of that would be renewed, uh, because, as you're saying, we're restored to what God created us to be. We were not created injured by sin. We were not created to be hobbled uh, by sin. We were created to, in God's image, and we were created to enjoy unimpeded communion with him, and that is restored to us in Christ. So that's what I mean to say when I look at Genesis chapter 2 and the creation account here. And of course, we have two creation accounts. You already spoke to that. There's an earlier creation account. But this one in particular, I think, gives us a glimpse of this uh, moment of uh, communion and intimacy and pure love, which uh, brings Adam not only into existence, and I want to mention that, I don't want to lose track of that, because uh, there are five Hebrew words in the midst of this passage that I just have to call our attention to. Well, but let's, before go I, let's go there, Paul, because that sounds like that's, I mean, there's something that's been a thread through your whole life, given what you've said you learned in Hebrew school, and, and so you, you have a personal um, uh, real appreciation for the text here. Well, the verse I'm speaking of is, is verse uh, 7. I just have to correlate it to All be right. sure that, yes, it's verse 7 in both the uh, English Bible and in the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Uh, and there are just five words at the end of this uh, verse, this passage, uh, in verse 7. The last five words, and I'll, I'll read them in Hebrew, and then I'll translate them in order, and then... Uh, look at how they're phrased in English. But here it says, well, I'm going to add an additional word, a sixth word, but then I'm going to look at the five words that follow. Nishmat hayam beyahi adam haya. Now the reason, there, those are, there are five words. Hayam beyahi adam haya. And the only word, only of those Hebrew words that we use a lot today are when people do karate, they use the last one. <laughs> <laughs> right? Hi-ya! All right. So I'm, jo- all I'm looking across, the, I've got my friend in the control room who does karate, and he's laughing in there because I've heard him use the term. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to break your strain of thought. but Well, I'm just imagining all the bar mitzvah bulkers, you know, in, at, their, uh, at their karate lessons. But, uh, but in their this case, in this case, the word haya at the end of the sentence is the a very powerful word it is just three letters but it conveys the whole sense of existence 
And when you think of it, without existence, we wouldn't be anywhere. We wouldn't be. Uh, existence is not a an ethereal philosophical concept. It is what we rely on uh, day in and day out, minute after minute, our existence. And these five words, Hayam ve'yehi ha'adam l'nefesh hayah, these five words reiterate life over and over again. Now, most people are familiar with the Hebrew word Hayam, like Lechayim, to life. Happens to be my middle name, my father's name, Chaim. It means life. And here we have Chaim, life, Veyahi, living, Ha'adam, man, or Adam, Lenefesh, the, uh, now this is a very important word, it means a, a living being, a, uh, a, an active, participating uh, soul. Maybe a word we might insert there is personality, and once again, living. So God breathes life, and man becomes or comes into existence as the living. And here we have the emphasis over and over and over again that this gift of life which comes to humankind to adam the first man the first person this gift of life is what not only uh, keeps him uh, in existence going but every generation as you read through the book of uh, genesis all the way into we could pick up, for instance, the Gospel of Matthew, and we would begin there the story all over again. Uh, these are the these are the generations uh, of Jesus the Messiah. This is the this is the story of the generations of Jesus the Messiah, uh, and uh, then it goes on in in Matthew to tell of the generations, the story of this life that begins in Adam and is restored in the promise of the gospel of salvation, but then is transmitted from generation to generation through that promise and then through that realized gospel. So here we have this tremendous emphasis. When I look at it in Hebrew, Marcus, Mm -hmm. these words for life just jump off the page. Mm -hmm. This is the beginning of life, the gift of life, which of course is uh, given to us fully in Christ. And it is such a foundational assumption. I don't mean assumption in the, in the negative sense in which we take it for granted, but as a foundational axiom to understanding who we are, what we're intended to be, how we're intended to live, how we're intended to un- understand others, how we're to understand uh, the ethics and morality of our world, of our life, of our culture, all of this comes back to the very words that you just quoted. Because without the assumption that God is the origin and that it was out of a gratuitous gift that he gave this very life, even the idea of life is from God. 
and then out of that comes Adam, man, mankind. We see that here. Without that assumption, if you cut that out as a foundational uh, axiom to all of life, we end up with the chaos that's in our world, which is what you're fighting against in the work that you do with your life. Well, and there we see the contrast between the culture of life and the culture of life is not the choice of a lifestyle. Well, I'm going to choose a religious lifestyle. I'm going to choose to follow the church. Other people will choose. No, this is a, these are diametric opposites. They are systems in conflict. You have a culture of life which embraces this initial foundational gift of life, the greatest gift ever given and ever received, against the culture of death, which is the, uh, to say the opposite is to imply that it has equal power, and it doesn't. Uh, St. Augustine describes uh, sin as the absence, the, the emptiness, uh, uh, the, the, in this case, it would be the absence of life, uh, a negative, not a positive. So it is, sin has the same power as life. It, it doesn't, but it is the absence of life. And here is the conflict between these two, uh, these two cultures, culture of life and culture of death. And that is why the Church so uh, celebrates uh, and promotes, prays for, and works for a culture of life uh, as over against a culture of death, a culture of emptiness, a culture of absence. And it's in the meaning of this verse as the foundational understanding of humanity and our pers- all that we are and what others are is, is the reason why back in the middle of the 1800s that Christians of, of every ilk rose up uh, this idea of spontaneous generation as the as the formation of humanity that we it isn't the idea of evolution per se as a process but the idea that it was a process in which God there wasn't a God involved that we were an accident and that completely is against what's in this verse and therefore undercuts you know, all of our understanding of culture and humanity and love and relationships and family and meaning, and which brings us back by the significance of this passage. Well, uh, what I, how I uh, express really the heart of the message of life given to us in Holy Scripture, uh, given to us in the Gospel, and given to us through the teachings of the Church, is that there are no accidental people, no throwaway babies. In other words, every single person who ever has or ever will come into existence, haya, come into existence, has come into existence in the express plan and purpose of God. Unique, unrepeatable, a uh, 
a reflection of God in the world. In fact, speaking of that, when we go back to the Hebrew text, this word chaya, which I said is, appears three times in five words, vehaya, or chayam vehaya chaya, three times this, this root uh, in, in Hebrew, almost every single word has a three-letter root. Is a powerful Trinitarian uh, uh, analogy to be made there. But every single word in Hebrew derives from, well, almost every single word derives from a three-letter root. Three consonants. And, uh, three consonants. Right. And in this case, Haya, here are the three consonants and uh, three letters. This is the uh, root, the center of the word for existence, for life, being, for essence. It is also the root of the very name of God. God's name is built upon yes. this three-letter root. So this is the essence of God uh, given to man. Life is uh, what comes from God and is imparted uh, to us. And in the Mass, uh, when the... Uh, deacon or the celebrant uh, adds the water to the wine chalice. He says, "By the, through the mystery of this water, this wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. That is a reiteration of the gospel that begins in Genesis chapter 2, and that is elaborated for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the whole story of the gospel, that we may share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. That's the reunion, the re-communion that was begun in Genesis 2, that was lost in Genesis 3, that is lost in original sin, that is restored in Christ, in the sacrament of baptism, and through the whole sacramental life as we are pilgrims on the journey to reunion uh, in eternal life. Paul, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'd like you to address what's in verse 9, because... We recognize that this gift of life that each of us has received, every human being that's ever existed, it's a gift of life, came out of the mind of God, his very essence, which is symbolized by his name. Yet, out of that uh, plan for man, he, in verse 9, did something kind of strange. Uh, w was it necessary? Uh, why did he do this? What was the point of this? in verse 9, and we'll look at that when we come back. 
You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grode. I am joined tonight by Dr. Paul Shank, and you're hearing us on EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network. Don't miss the good fight this Saturday. We'll study St. Ogilvy, and our future saint is a lawyer fighting same-sex marriage, Ian Doris, along with Professor George from Princeton and new deacon Len Dale. That's The Good Fight, Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. The Good Fight comes to you live each Saturday only on EWTN Radio. For times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Written by Carl Adam, Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. I'm joined tonight by Dr. Paul Shank. We're looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. Uh, Paul, just before the break, I I asked you to reflect on verse 9. Before I get there, though, I'm just going to make a quick comment, because I know we don't have a lot of time for this, but I've always found the symbolism of verses 5 and 6 fascinating, Uh, where there's a little parenthesis in this verse where it talks about that the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. There was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. You know, scholars argue about the the theological meaning of that and the symbolism, but what it it, it, it just strikes me as how the communication of the gospel message is so down to earth to people who live out in the world and know that uh, we see a radical change has taken place between a world in which this mist was a more uh, consistent environment. In other words, everything uh, lived together in, um, in balance and things changed. You know, then now we've got this rain, and all of us who watch the, the, the cable weather channels know that from one day to the next, you don't know what kind of weather you're going to get. You can't even predict it. It's a mess. Our lives are changed. Things have changed, and all as a result of not following God's command, and it begins in verse 9. Well, I had a very, um, a very uh, uh, insightful a Bible professor along the route who said that when sin entered the world, the universe cracked. <laughs> and uh, really that's what you're describing, is that uh, sin ruptured that harmony. And when we think of sin in our own lives, <laughs> when we deliberately depart from God's purpose and will in our lives, in a small thing, uh, when we uh, when we're jealous, when we're uh, selfish, 
to a big thing. Uh, when we cause uh, wars and uh, uh, havoc uh, in society, when we rupture that uh, that original purpose of God, that original communion, then we then harmony becomes disharmony, and everything is thrown out of. Uh, yeah, and, and what we have, I mean, all right, Doctor Shank, you know, you, you answer this question. I mean, here God has this harmony and this balance. Everything is is uh, is watered by a mist. I think about my garden out in the backyard. I, if it's not raining, I've got to go out and take care of that. I've got to drag, you know, you know, in both hands, two gallon buckets of water out to our corn. Well, it's nice, and He plants man there. It's nice. And then he has the audacity in the middle of this to plant these two trees and then says, don't touch them. Now, if I did that to my kids, it's like tempting. It, 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 it's encouraging them to touch the very thing that I don't want them to. What's he doing? Well, this is a very vivid lesson uh, here. This is a seminal fundamental lesson about faith, which in Hebrew is emunah, which means to uh, trust, uh, to explicitly trust. Uh, And trust must be grounded in love. You know, if, if, if you think that someone hates you, you can hardly trust them. Uh, trust has to be grounded in love, that original love, which led to that original perfect communion. So in this respect, we have to put ourselves in the position of Adam before the act of distrust, which was his sin that comes in chapter 3. That was an act of distrust. He distrusted God. He, he, he trusted, uh, tragically, the serpent. Or at least he trusted himself more than he trusted God, and that fractured that uh, communion. But the lesson that we are all given, and that was established at the beginning, uh, comes in the last part of verse 9. Uh, which you've just called attention to. So if I read it again, Mm -hmm. out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food, and uh, then it says, So now he says, all right, he gave him everything good, Mm -hmm. and the tree of life, there's that word again, he put into the garden, in the midst of the garden, and to know the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the Hebrew word here, hada'at, yudeah, 
is the root. Yada, yada, is that there's the three letters again. Mm-hmm. Yod, Dalit, Hey, Yada, uh, Y-D-A, Yada, there's the root. And that word can also mean to discern or to uh, decide. So here is the tree of life, which is the root of uh, man's very existence. Without this tree of life, etz hayim, without the tree of life, there is no existence. So the gift of life, again, and then we have the tree uh, of the knowledge or the tree of the decision between good and evil. And he says to Adam, you are not to partake of that tree, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are not uh, to, uh, to partake. I'm, I'm, look, I'm trying to get it out of the, uh, to get it, it here. Um, he prevents them mm-hmm. from partaking of that tree in verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. This word, uh, yada, can mean to decide. In other words, if man decides for himself what is good and what is evil, then he rejects God's perfect plan. He rejects God's original gift. And he distrusts his loving creator. And he rejects that love. And then he decides for himself. And here is where Isaiah gives us some further insight. They call good evil and evil good. Light darkness and darkness light. Sounds like today. In other words, when we rupture that relationship with God, when we violate that intimate trust, then we become confused and our sight is darkened and we cannot distinguish between good and evil. And the enemy of our souls, Satan, exploits that and takes advantage of that confusion, which is a result of our falling away from or rejecting our loving God. And we need to have that rupture, that that fissure repaired so that that life flows to us again. And of course, this there is no more beautiful uh, depiction of that restoration than in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, yes. where we, the, 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 the last thing we do in the Mass is receive what? Communion. Mm-hmm. We, we have that lifeline restored, that rupture repaired, and that trust reinstated, and we can receive that original love again, which restores our relationship with God. 
which in the Mass requires just before that reception of communion, are admitting our unworthiness to receive. And the answer is, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Very interesting parallel if you put that in the context of Genesis where we recognize, you know, our fault. It's not just Adam's fault, but it's my own making me unworthy, yet in Christ, the word, I can be healed and therefore restored. And that's, the like you said, the whole concept of what the Mass is all about. I'm also reminded of um, a verse that we had last week on this program, Romans 8, 28. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him or are called according to his purpose. I mean, Adam, in his trust for God, should have recognized that in the hands of God for his entire future was good. And there were things in his future that he didn't know but that he had to trust God as opposed to deciding now, I can't wait, or I'm not sure, or I think I know what's better for me, and then deciding on his own. And we say in the Mass, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Dying, you destroyed our death. Rising, you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. So again, here is that uh, motif of uh, the destruction of our death, the restoration of our life. And this is why I said in the beginning that I view this passage in Genesis 2 as the beginning of the gospel. Mm -hmm. This is the whole foundation of the gospel story. This is what we are restored to in Christ, is this intimate communion. And it is the choice to reject it that causes the injury. And the beginning of the step up is our recognition of our own unworthiness, yet recognizing the gift of new life in Jesus Christ, which is the gospel message, as you say, is introduced here. Well, Dr. Schenk, thank you for joining us on the program. I'm going to have to have you back because we want to continue with the gospel. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> I'd enjoy that. Thank you very much, uh, Paul, and thank all of you. You know, when I think about this, what happened here in Genesis as well as in our own lives, you know, we, it's like when we give our kids Christmas presents and we say, now don't touch them. Of course, they know Christmas is coming, but can they wait? Well, in our lives, God has so many blessings for us. We just need to trust him because he wants what's best for us. God bless you. See you next week.